Thanks for listening to the Three Strands podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. Hey guys, thanks for checking out our very first Facebook watch party. I'm so excited that you're here. I know that it's not the same as being together face-to-face, but I'm sure God's got something to challenge us with today. And I hope on top of that, he'll also encourage your heart and my heart. Uh, It'll be more than just a learning experience, but it'll also be a time of refreshment. I hope you're comfortable. Maybe you've had some Easter candy. I hope you've already had breakfast. I hope you're relaxed and you've got your Bible out or a Bible app. Grab a notebook or a notes app. Take some notes. Jot down some of these Bible passages Check them out later. Dig deeper into them this week. We've got some extra time on our hands, at least most of us do. And so use that time to get to know God even deeper. And so I'm excited about today. I'm excited about our church moving forward. I can't wait to see you guys again face to face. But I hope today you'll feel some encouragement from God's heart to ours through his word, through his teaching, um, through what he's um, got planned for us. So thank you guys again for being here. Let's get to it together. I was thinking this week, a lot about some events in history. Uh, I thought about the bubonic plague in 1347. In the middle 1300s, for five years, this plague swept through Europe, um, Africa, and Asia, killing millions. Lasted for five years, and it was nicknamed the Black Death. Bodies were literally piled up in the streets because morgues were full, and it was estimated that it killed 20 million people around the world. Then in 1918, I thought about the Spanish flu. Maybe you've heard people on the news lately talking about that one. It it infected an estimated 500 million people. It spread all over the world. That's nearly one-third of the world's population at that time, and it was estimated to have killed between 30 and 50 million people. In 1929, the Great Depression hit the United States. I'm sure most of you have heard of that. But it was this economic depression in our country. The stock market collapsed. Millions of Americans lost their jobs. Um, Nearly half of the banks in this country closed. It lasted for a decade all throughout the 1930s. People were depressed. Suicide rates were up. Bread lines were packed. And soup kitchens were overwhelmed. And people didn't have enough money to feed their families. And they had no way to get a job. It was depressing. It ended in 1939, but was immediately followed by the next big world event. We call it World War II, but it was started when Hitler invaded Poland, setting off this six-year war between nations all over the globe. Between 50 and 60 million people died during World War II, including 6 million Jews who were executed in concentration camps as part of Hitler's final solution. And now here we are in 2020. And COVID-19 has been racing around our planet, infecting millions of people probably, claiming the lives of tens of thousands. And in all of those events, one thing that happened in all of them, and is happening right now, was that people took to the streets, or now today they take to Facebook and Twitter, and they declared or are declaring that the end is here. The world is ending. This is the apocalypse and Armageddon is at our doorstep and, and, and Jesus is probably coming back and there's no hope and we're all gonna die. If only there was a passage in the Bible that talked about that. Luckily for us, Jesus talked about that exact thing in Mark chapter 13 
We don't have the time this morning to look at the entire chapter. I hope you'll read it all on your own. But in that whole chapter, Jesus is talking about the future, what it's going to be like, what people know, what they don't know. And he says all these things are going to happen that we're facing. There's going to be wars. There's going to be famine and disease. There's going to be devastation and heartache. There's going to be people showing up claiming this is the end, that there's no hope and we're all going to die. But they don't know. They don't know the future. He even says the angels in heaven don't know the future. In fact, he himself has laid aside the ability to know when the end is. Only God in heaven knows when the end is. Listen to how Jesus says it in Mark 13, starting in verse 32. He says, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son of himself, that's Jesus. Only the father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, now here's, he's gonna tell us how we should live because we don't know, right? And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard, stay alert. I love that. Here's what Jesus is saying. You don't know the future. All those people out there acting like they know the future, they don't know the future either. Some of them are gonna claim they're the Messiah coming back to save the day, but they're lying. They don't know. There's gonna be wars. There's gonna be disease. There's gonna be famine. There's gonna be earthquakes. There's gonna be catastrophe. But that doesn't mean the end is here. Nobody knows except God when the end will be here. And so because you don't know, when stuff happens around us, what your response should be is this, you ready? Double down on your faith. You trusted me before, trust me even more now. You followed me before, follow me even harder now. Give me your whole heart, double down. When you feel afraid, when you feel worried, when somebody's talking trash about what's happening in our world that's saying that this is the end, they don't know. And Jesus would say to you, double down on your faith. Trust me even more. Follow me even more with your whole heart. Dive into your faith and trust that I've got this. And I wanna to say to you guys today, God's got this. That sounds almost hard to believe, but it brings us to the start of this new series we're gonna kick off today. Here's how Paul said it in Colossians. He was writing a letter to people who were being abused, taken advantage of, fed to lions, mistreated, persecuted, and he writes to them and he says basically the same thing to them. You don't know what's gonna happen, but you know it might be bad. Here's what he says in Colossians chapter two, starting in verse six. And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. You hear what he's saying? It's the same thing Jesus was saying. When uncertainty is around you, when devastation is in your life, when trouble is upon you, when people are mistreating you, when it seems like the world is taking advantage of you, double down on your faith. Trust that God's got this and follow him with your whole heart. That really is all about the series we're starting today. It's called, Are You Kidding Me? And we're gonna be looking at some passages that Jesus shared, some um, words, some phrases that Jesus gave us that sound so outlandish, so ridiculous. You think to yourself, they can't possibly be true. He must be joking. And you're tempted to look back at God and say to him, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You want me to live like that? You want me to do that? That seems impossible. 
But God is saying to us, if you'll do these things, if you'll not just say you believe me, but actually follow what I'm telling you to follow, even when it seems like I'm kidding you, even when it seems like it's ridiculous, even when it seems like nobody else is gonna live that way, if you'll follow me in those things, you will get a reward that I'm promising you. I wanna show you those things. We're gonna cover just four of them. There's a bunch of them. We're gonna cover four of them in the next four weeks. I hope you'll tune in for each week of this series. But the first one today we're gonna cover, if you wanna follow along, is in Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, we're gonna start in verse 38 um, and just kind of look at these first, this first one that Jesus shares with us, where it leaves you kind of scratching your head thinking, is he even being serious with me? Have you ever heard the phrase, they say? Maybe you yourself have said it. Maybe you've heard other people said it. It's kind of this uh, American slang that gets tagged on to some other phrasing to let people know what I'm about to say is something you should believe no matter what you think. It goes something like this. They say vitamin C is good for you, right? Maybe you've heard people use this or maybe you yourself have used this. Or, or they say the more the merrier. Or, or they say, or they say, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Maybe you've heard some of those lines. Who is this they? Who is the they they're talking about? Well, they can be a lot of different groups of people. It could be medical experts. It could be a scientific community. It could just be society at large. But when somebody uses those two words, they say, what they mean is what I'm about to tell you is widely accepted as true by so many people that you should just believe it without any questions. This is what Jesus is gonna to present to us today. They all say one thing, but I'm gonna say something different. In fact, our faith could almost be summed up in that phrase, that everybody is saying one thing and Jesus is saying something different. And faith is when you choose to believe and trust what Jesus says instead of what they say. So let me read you the passage first and then let's dig into it. Because it sounds on the surface like if they say it, then it must be true. But is that always the case? Is the majority always right? Are the experts always correct? Let's hear what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. You have heard the law that says, that's code for they say, right? You have heard the law that says the punishment must, must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, then offer them your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for one mile, then carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. This paragraph is packed with cliches that we still use today. You've probably heard some, if not all of them, already in your life. I'm sure almost everybody listening at one point has heard that phrase, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This is Jesus quoting from the Old Testament, a passage that shows up three times in the Old Testament Jewish law. It was intended to mean if somebody violates you, offends you, commits a crime against you, then the punishment they receive should be equal to the what they doled out. So in other words, if they jabbed your eye out, then the punishment for them should be that their eye is jabbed out. Uh, if they cut off your hand, then their hand should be cut off. If they knocked out one of your teeth, 
then one of their teeth should be pulled out. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Everybody Jesus was talking to at that time understood that to be the law. They understood that to be what everybody thought was the way you should live. They all knew that they say you should live that way. If somebody gets you, then you get them back. If somebody mistreats you, then you punish them accordingly. If somebody takes advantage of you, then you take advantage of them in the exact same way or greater. But Jesus goes on to say, but that's not the way it is for me. I say there's a different way to live. You've heard what the law says. You've heard what other people do. You've heard what they say. But I say there's a different way to live. What is Jesus talking about in this passage? He's talking about what you do when you get taken advantage of. And so maybe there's a situation in your life right now where you feel like you've been taken advantage of. You feel like you've been abused or mistreated. You feel like people have wronged you and offended you. And you don't exactly know what to do. But everybody around you, all of them, they say to get even. They say to get angry. They say to make sure that the punishment you give to that person is equal or greater to the consequence or punishment they've given to you. To, to eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so this paragraph is full of all these cliches. That was the first one. There's more of them, of course. Like I'm sure a lot of you have heard that second one there where he says, if somebody smacks you on the right cheek, turn to them your, your left cheek, right? How many of you have heard that phrase before? Turn the other cheek, right? Or he goes on to say, uh, if you get sued and your shirt is taken, then give them your coat too. And I'm sure many of you have heard that cliche or that phrase before where people say, I'd give them the very shirt off my back or the coat off my own back. And that's where this cliche comes from. Or the third, the fourth one in there, starting in verse 41, where he talks about a soldier, a Roman soldier. If he demands that you carry his gear for a mile, offer to carry it for two miles. There was a law in Roman, in, in, the, in Rome, that said if a Roman soldier Pulled, stopped you, no matter who you were, if you were a stranger, if you were busy, if you were an enemy, if you were, they could demand that you would carry their equipment, their gear, um, their luggage, their shield, their whatever, that you could carry all their stuff for up to one mile. And so everybody Jesus was talking to would know that a Roman soldier could at any time demand that they carry their gear for a mile. And Jesus is saying, don't get angry, don't get even, don't dole out punishment. Instead, offer to go the extra mile with them. All these cliches that come out of this passage. What Jesus is trying to tell us is, I know what they say. I know what they tell you to do. I know what's accepted in our world. And here's how you'd say it today. When somebody wrongs you, when somebody offends you, I know that everybody around you is telling you to get even, to get angry to make sure that you repay them with equal or greater retribution. I wonder how many of us live our lives without even realizing it with that approach, a vengeance first mentality, that nobody's gonna get one over on me, that we're gonna get everybody back. I wonder how many of us or how easily we believe that this is the correct way to live simply because they say it. But Jesus says there's a different way. 
but I say. And so they say this, but I say this. They say to live this way, but I say to live a different way. Don't get angry. Don't get even. Don't attempt to dole out an equal amount of retribution. Don't resist the people who treat you evil, who treat you with bad intentions. Don't unfriend them. Don't badmouth them. Don't try to get everyone else to hate them. No, instead, live a different way. And what Jesus is talking about is forgiveness. We've already talked about forgiveness in one session this year. We're going to talk about it in two more sessions after today. It's so critical to our goal for the year that we set out in January, which was next level faith. Taking your faith to the next level beyond just watching a show on Sunday morning, letting your faith be part of every minute of every day. And forgiveness is crucial to that because without it, you will be robbed of all your peace and joy. You won't want to have faith in your life. You'll want to go out and do your own thing. You'll be disheartened, hopeless, and discouraged. And so we want to talk about this subject again today. I hope you'll tune in again next week. We're going to tag team off of this week, next week. It's almost like a two-parter the next two weeks. And we're going to cover different aspects of this idea of forgiveness, where Jesus says, I know they say to live this way, but I'm saying to live a different way. I'm saying to live by this law to forgive the people who offend you, who mistreat you, who take advantage of you. Forgive them? Are you kidding me, Jesus? but they don't deserve it. And it makes me think of one of the greatest theologians in history, Clint Eastwood, who of course said, deserves got nothing to do with it. Jesus didn't say anything about what those people deserve. He didn't say anything about them getting justice. No, he said, forgive. He said to live a different way, to give them more than they deserve, to pay back evil with good, to pay back meanness with kindness. It's a completely different way of living. He presents forgiveness as a choice, a choice to trust that he's got your back. So you don't need to worry about getting even with other people. See, we mistakenly believe that forgiveness is a feeling. And if I don't feel like forgiving somebody, I won't. But Jesus never presents forgiveness as a feeling. He always presents it as faith. It isn't like forgiveness just comes or doesn't come. It's a choice you make. It's not a feeling. Forgiveness is choosing to no longer hold somebody else's sin against them. You can always choose that no matter what the offense. And I know they don't deserve it. I know it doesn't feel natural because it's always going to be supernatural. I know that it won't ever feel like the thing you should do because all of them are saying not to do it. They say, don't forgive. They say to hold a grudge. But Jesus is saying to you, there's a better way to live, a way that will change you on the inside, that will strengthen you, that will grow the roots of your faith down deep if you'll follow what I'm saying to do, even though it sounds like it doesn't make any sense. Will you trust what I say over what they say? Even if what I say sounds like it can't possibly be the way to handle this situation. Because Jesus knows that if we don't forgive, it will eat us alive. Unforgiveness will make you bitter and resentful at the world, at people around you. You don't even know it's happening. But resentment is like drinking poison 
and then expecting someone else to die from it. It won't ever happen. And so Jesus knows that if he can convince us to forgive the people who mistreat us, the people who take advantage of us, then we'll grow stronger on the inside. Our faith will dig down deeper, even when there's chaos around us. I brought one of our Easter baskets with me. I don't know if you can see it or not, but it's filled up. It's got a bunch of different things in it. It's got a toy bunny and some Easter eggs and some decorations and stuff like that. And so I got a couple of these I just want to show you. Here's the first one, kind of the classic plastic Easter egg. And so many of us, our faith, we're walking around like this plastic Easter egg. It's colored. It might even be decorated, but on the inside, it's empty. It's hollow. And the slightest little thing reveals that we don't have much inside of us. And we may look right on the outside, but inside we're kind of a disappointment to ourselves because we're looking for candy. I brought a, a regular egg that we had hard boiled. And some people don't hard boil their faith. They don't hard boil their life. It's just a raw egg. Inside is just raw emotion. And whatever they feel is what they do. And if they take an egg like that and they drop it and smash it on the ground, everything that's inside spills out. The egg is destroyed. But then there's those of us who have a hard-boiled faith where, where Jesus has put us through the fire. We followed what he said to do whenever he says to do it, and it strengthens us on the inside. It solidifies us. It makes us into something harder on the inside. And if I drop this egg, it'll still crack. Just like the plastic egg, just like the raw egg, it will still crack. But the inside will still be good to eat. It'll still stay solid. It'll still say, it'll still say, stay the way it was intended to be. It won't break. It won't shatter. It won't be destroyed. It won't be empty. It'll be the exact way it was designed to be. Some of us need a faith that's hard-boiled. We need to do what Jesus is saying to do, even when we don't feel like it, so that it will strengthen us on the inside. So that when disaster strikes, when famines hit, when diseases spread, when the shell gets cracked on the inside, we'll still be just what we were intended to be, solid, steady on, secure in our relationship with God. Now you might be thinking, that's all easy for Jesus to say. I mean, he doesn't know what it's like to experience what I've experienced. He doesn't know what it's like to be treated the way I've been treated. He doesn't know what it's like to be taken advantage of like I've been taken advantage of. Really? Really? When you read the Easter story, how could you think that? Remember all those diseases and famines and depressions and wars I shared with you at the beginning? I think that the greatest injustice, the most ugly scene in all of human history is where the mob mentality took over and all of culture rose up to execute God's one and only son who had done nothing wrong. All of his friends abandoned him. Some betrayed him. Others spit on him, punched him. You think he doesn't know what it feels like to be slapped on his right cheek? You think he doesn't know what it's like to be taken advantage of, to be betrayed and abused, to be neglected and ignored, 
to be abandoned and mistreated. He knows exactly how it feels to be hanging on a cross as everybody abandons you and watches until you suffocate to death. He knows just what it feels like to be betrayed, abused, and mistreated. He knows just what it feels like to be completely taken advantage of. And you know what he said when all that was going on in his life? When he was hanging on a cross, dying for crimes he didn't commit, dying for your crimes, for my crimes, for our sins. You know what he said to all those people who were spitting on him and laughing at him and mocking him and abusing him and doubting him and running away from him? You know what he said to all of them? He looked out at all of them. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. You see, forgiveness won't ever feel natural. It's always gonna have to be supernatural. It won't ever feel easy, but it'll always be what's best for you. It's not calling what somebody else did to you right. It's not making excuses for somebody else's bad behavior. No, it's trusting God enough to deal with it instead of taking matters into your own hands. It won't ever be what they say, but it will be what he says. Can I end today by just giving you three quick tips to become a better forgiver? It's not exhaustive. There's a bunch more we can look at. I hope you'll jot these verses down, look at them later. But let me just give you three quick tips to become a better forgiver. And they all deal with how you talk. Okay, if we could just change the way we talk, we could become better forgivers. Here's the first one. Talk about your weaknesses regularly. Talk about your weaknesses regularly. If you ever meet somebody that can't admit they do anything wrong, that never owns that they do any sin, that they commit any wrongdoing, then I'll show you somebody that can't forgive easily. Why does that work? Because God's strength works best in our weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 10, Paul writes that. And so talk about your weaknesses regularly if you want to become a better forgiver. Here's the second one. Talk about God's forgiveness routinely. Talk about God's forgiveness routinely. Because the one who's been forgiven for much will in turn love much. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus shares this story of a woman who is so heartbroken over her sin and so thankful that he would forgive her that she comes weeping on his feet and washes his feet with her hair. All the people around Jesus are thinking, why would Jesus let this sinful, dirty woman even touch him? And he responds to their thoughts in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, by saying this, this woman who has sinned a lot, who has done much evil, she loves me so much. She loves others so much because she's been forgiven of much. See, we so easily forget how much God forgives us for that it makes us hard and bitter towards others. But if we will routinely talk about how much God has forgiven us for, it will help us to forgive others more because the one who's been forgiven the most will in turn love the most. Here's the third thing. Talk about others' offenses rarely. Talk about others' offenses rarely. Because we so easily get focused on the speck in someone else's eye and can't even see the tree trunk sticking out of our own eye. 
Jesus said it in Matthew chapter seven, verses three to four. Let me give you all three of those again. Talk about your weaknesses regularly. Talk about God's forgiveness routinely and talk about others' offenses rarely. You gotta be very careful when you start dishing out judgment on other people. Be very careful what you judge somebody else for today because that very same thing could be knocking at your door tomorrow. When we forget who we are and who God is, we start to think we're better than everybody else. We stop forgiving because we think our sin, our crime, it's not nearly as bad as what they've done. And so we constantly need to talk about our weaknesses, talk about God's forgiveness for us, and and rarely speak about what other people have done to us. Get focused on what Jesus says to focus on instead of judging what everybody else is doing. We talk ourselves out of a lot of things in this world. But maybe today we can talk ourselves into following what Jesus is saying to do, even though it sounds like he's kidding us. Paul summed it up this way in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 31. He said this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead of that stuff, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Isn't that exactly what Jesus is trying to say? He's calling to you from the Bible today. I know what they say, but I say, forgive the unforgivable. And I know it's hard, but that's where faith comes in. Maybe today you're sitting in your living room, you're laying in your bed, you're in your car, you're listening to this, you're watching us. Maybe you have trouble forgiving other people because you've never been forgiven by God. That can all change today. There's no fancy prayer to pray. There's no magic words to say. There's simply you coming face to face with the God of the universe and him saying to you, will you trust that I'm enough to forgive you? That when I died for you, that covers your sin. When I rose from the dead for you, that freed you from sin and that I am the only one who deserves to be your Lord. If you will believe those things inside and declare that Jesus is your Lord, your boss, out loud, the Bible says you'll be saved, you'll be forgiven. And once you're forgiven like that, you will start to forgive other people instantly. Maybe you need to talk about your weaknesses. Maybe you need to speak about God's love and forgiveness. Maybe you need to stop talking about what everybody else has done to you. Maybe, just maybe, you need to invite God to forgive you for the very first time and declare that he's gonna be your Lord. And no matter what disease comes, no matter what pandemic hits, you're gonna follow him. You're gonna double down on your faith because he's worthy of it. And when you do that, you'll get roots that grow down deep inside of you. You will hard boil your faith to maybe still get cracked on the outside like everybody else, but to stay just the way God intended you to be on the inside, confident, strong, dependent on him, and completely sure that he's got you no matter what. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.